0: I'm Darren Parmenter with Colorado State University Extension here in La Plata County. And I'm
1: Tom Bartels from GrowFoodWell.com. And this is The Garden Guys. Collectively. Collectively. Yes, the two of us. And we're here to talk to the 12 people that listen to us. 13 now. 13. Lucky 13. Yeah, we got uh, those 13 people listening to the one podcast that's mildly entertaining at the moment. <laughs> Not true crime. Oh. Only carrots in the building. Yes. yes. And in regards to food and gardens and farming and stuff like that in the Four Corners region. And this week, we've got a special interview. Oh, nice. With uh, a big hitter in the world of sustainability okay. and farm and food and uh, those types of parallel universes that we move around in. And Is this if, Michelle Obama? Is no, she- it's more of a local
0: player. Like a Jim Dyer?
1: A uh, Jim Dyer. Bingo. Oh, um, Jim Dyer from Healthy Community Food Systems has agreed to come on Garden Guys this morning and chat us up about all things food. So we're very excited about that. I'm going to preface this. I, I met Jim when
0: I came back to Durango in 2007. He was one of the first people that I got in touch with and got in touch with me about food system work.
1: So a little background on Jim. He's the project director of the Southwest Marketing Network and Healthy Community Food Systems and Colorado co-lead liaison to the National Farm to School Program. Jim has over 21 years of experience working with Native American projects in the Southwest, 12 years in farm to school work, and 28 years in sustainable agriculture in Colorado.
0: 28 years.
1: 28 years. That's amazing. And full disclosure, I'm on his board of directors with the Healthy Community Food Systems, so I'm going to be partial to this whole food stuff that he's working on because it turns out food's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And he
0: recognized it way before a lot of folks have. Yeah. And that's what's kind of cool. And again, if you say 28 years, I we're not giving away Jim's age, but I know he's been working on food, with food, with ranching, with farming, with gardening for way more than 28 years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Jim's been immersed in efforts to make things better for a great many years, and we'd like to welcome him to the Garden Guys. Welcome, Jim.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to be here and to visit with you and and some of your listeners.
1: Yes, some of our 12 listeners. No, you're going to be visiting with
2: all of our listeners, (laughs) just not some of them. Well,
1: some of them might be out (laughs) back getting a beer or something. So you have a list of credentials, uh, mostly wrapped around food and biosphere health, and wanted to kind of start a general discussion about what you see recently and, and some of the great stuff on your website. I just went recently across the broad spectrum of what you offer on the website. And it's pretty astounding how much good information and educational stuff is on there for anyone trying to learn more about the food shed and the biosphere locally. What, what's the website? It's healthycommunityfoodsystems.org.
2: And you can get to that uh, with hcfs.org. It's not high fructose corn syrup, it's healthy community food systems.org.
1: Now, you're working with infrastructure connecting local farmers to community food needs and school meal programs, and uh, as well as the suggestion for personal homeowners and people with access to gardens to continue gardening. Can you give us a little um, basic understanding of your your broad scope of of how you're approaching the local food shed. and what is a food shed really?
2: I, I guess our approach is to look at the the whole food system and we like to uh, and that all of the parts as people uh, generally know, uh, but we like to think of it as a food shed that makes it a bit more tangible because so much of what we do has an impact on the land and the land impacts how we're able to grow the food. Um, and to me, the food shed is two things, where we should look first for our food, and that's look local first, where, is, where should we look first for our food? And secondly, it's the area that you feel most responsible for caring for in terms of the environmental impact of of agriculture and the rest of our activities on it and its ability to provide for us in terms of food uh, so and it's a rather nebulous concept because it can be very local could be your backyard i like to think of La Plata county for a variety of reasons partly because i'm a citizen there and i have i can vote for things that happen there and i'm in touch with people but it certainly extends far beyond this so i talk about local food sheds hard to leave Montezuma County out of this. I'm going to focus on La Plata because that's that's closest to where I live. Uh, but I look at the whole of southwest Colorado and down into the rest of the four corners as our regional food shed.
1: And how does that relate to what you call the greater San Juan Mountain ecosystem?
2: I look at that southwest corner of the state, and if you look at it uh, beyond the political boundaries, it's centered on the San Juan Mountains. And these food sheds that I talk about are not just where we grow our food in the gardens and farms and ranches, but it's the surroundings because we know the health of the, those growing areas depends on the health of the surrounding ecosystem and vice versa. This health of these ecosystems around all the wildlands around the farms, ranches, and gardens is dependent on what is done on those agricultural lands. So I look at the whole area and that's why I like the idea of the greater Juan Mountain ecosystem. And I think it has some sense in terms of distribution of food because we can't get all our food from Wapata County. Um, so I think this is a good area to start thinking about what can we do within this? How can we live in this landscape? Food is one of the things, one of the big things we do and how can we keep it vibrant this sort of a wild, semi-wild area that we uh, love for its own sake, for what it gives us in terms of recreation and food, and what it brings in terms of tourists and tourist dollars to be very practical.
0: Jim, one of the things that I've grappled with, and I don't know if you have either, but it's this concept of, so we have this food shed, you know, if we call it San Juan Mountain, if we call it, you know, this Southwest Colorado And it's not easy to grow here. You're a longtime rancher and and gardener and farmer, and you've probably had those same dilemmas that other folks who are trying to derive some sort of income off of agriculture, as it can be a challenge, right? Like there's the grasshopper plague, there's the drought, there's the too much water, there's the hail, however that looks with a changing climate. So one of the things that kind of grappled with, you know, we are here to promote agriculture and we're here to get more producers within our food shed. But is that food shed becoming harder and harder to grow in?
2: Well, they did you on know, two things. I think it's always been difficult if you talk to the uh, uh, folks who lived up in Mesa Verde for a few centuries. Uh, it wasn't easy, and they adapted in various ways that. Um, probably hard for us to, to do. I think we're going to all move to Albuquerque and Flagstaff, but um, they, they've they been adapting to a changing climate over long term. We're seeing this climate change uh, just in the, the 26 years that I've been here and working on local food. Uh, most of that time has been very clearly in a drought. And we go back to the 2002 and three, there have been major constraints. So it's not only hard here, but it's becoming harder
0: yeah
2: but i don't know where in the world it's going to become easier there will be some little spots and then everybody will go there and we won't want to live there probably and then things will change anyways and the smoke will get to them anyways (laughs) and the other part of this is you wherever you live you do the best with what you have and it does come down as one of our board members used to look at uh, um, chaco canyon and the early people that lived in this area and the boom and bust in terms of population so we have to look at how many people should be here frankly in this in this area for it to be sustainable for us and for uh, our children and the planet. So those are tough things. Maybe the big cities should be in Iowa.
0: <laughs> Don't okay. tell that to Iowans.
2: <laughs> okay, okay.
1: So um, you've mentioned drought as one of the um, indicators that's a uh, big challenge for us. What other changes have you seen in, in the local food shed over the years and maybe connected to that? What trajectories or trends do you see looking forward in the next 10 or 20 years?
2: Well, you know, over the past uh, 20 to 30 years, it's it's been wonderful to see how this community and Plot County and surroundings, we're not isolated, um, uh, has put together the key elements of a healthy local food system. We've we've shown that we can do this and so much energy and work and a lot of partners and a lot of funding from government and from um, private foundations to put these elements together. I mean, we've got... Great farmers market. And that was one of the first things we really focused on. And other farmers markets, farm to school got going gangbusters early on. And we're a model for many other areas because of the support here. Beginning farmers programs. uh, We've got the school gardens and community gardens that were developed. So many of our schools have uh, developed community gardens, uh, school gardens. And nutrition and food access programs with uh, support from Live Well Colorado and others uh, to address the the inequities in our food system. Um, We had some great small farm conferences and so forth. We're not seeing that as much anymore. Maybe it's uh, we're past that point where we need to raise the awareness, but I'd love to see some of it more of that happen. And we got a good uh, producer-owned food co-op together. Now, as I say that many of these things are continuing, but the things that concern me are, have we moved far enough ahead? Are we continuing the momentum? Are we plateauing a little bit in terms of, especially in the amount of food that we're getting into restaurants, that we're getting into schools, that we're getting into uh, backyards, uh, backyard gardens for, for people. Have we grown the actual volume of local food? And Darren, you say there are limits, but we're, I don't think we're anywhere near the limits of what we could be growing here for local consumption. So those are some of the issues. And then we've got the continuity issues. Um, That producer co-op is no longer that Southwest Farm Fresh. Um, We've got to do some clear thinking about what's behind that Um, school gardens. And you could speak to this more than I could darren but the school gardens uh, many of them that were vibrant in the past are either at a lower level or maybe not even being taken care of there are others that are coming along that are uh, doing very well Uh, our granddaughter is at um, juniper school and i don't know if anybody's aware of it but it's got a nice um uh, garden that's developed in the past couple of years and my daughter has (laughs) helped make that so Now, in terms of the gardens and the community gardens, we lost two community gardens as well. The good news is with the Soil Lab over at Riverview and the buy-in from the city with Parks and Rec and from 9R and from local philanthropy, local money, which is great, it's going to be a showcase, I think, for the school and community gardens. And hopefully that'll spread and light a fire under school garden at every school and every preschool that can possibly have it in the area. The exciting things that I'm seeing and continually, I can't keep track of all the new local producers, people popping up and having an idea and being dedicated, have, they're really smart, they're younger than I am, and therefore they have some, probably some better ideas, uh, and it's wonderful to see this. I worry if they're being supported enough and we can get into that a little bit later. Uh, but that's a bright spot that this new energy with young people. And the other bright spot is the, the uh, Good Food Collective, which is kind of the culmination of some of the local groups that we've had evolving over the past 20 or more years. Looking at the tree gleaning and food waste Making that connection between the small farmers directly and to the groups that are helping uh, people with uh, food access, and this was jacked up considerably during COVID. One of the, one of the positive things from from COVID. The other thing that Good Food Collective is doing, and we struggled with in this area, trying to increase diversity and inclusion of various pop- of all the different populations in this area. Into food system planning and governance and so forth, and their La Plata Food Equity Coalition is a huge step in that direction. And I'm one. I'm really glad to see that happening, and I have high hopes for that. So that's kind of my assessment of where we're at. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I, th- I think you've listed quite. Uh great group of efforts that are happening locally, and they kind of come under the uh, general heading of what you call the deep sustainability concept on your website and how it relates to the three questions you pose. What what are those three questions? How do you come upon the deep sustainability?
2: Well, a lot of it has to do with, are we doing, in our pursuit of Sustainability. surviving on this planet with a good quality of life and a good planet uh, to live on for its own sake and for our sake um, are we doing the right things are, are our priorities in the right place are we doing putting enough effort into that are we getting serious about it the other is the sense of urgency are we doing those things fast enough We've got all these forces working against us. You're going to have to interject some jokes here, guys, because this, <laughs> this, gets, this gets a little, Well, there are some challenges here, yeah. And if we are we are we making progress? We could be doing all sorts of great things, but if we're not doing them faster than uh, some other forces are, are whittling away, we're not making the progress we need to make. And then. The third question is reflecting why are we doing this okay is it just for us is it just for our kids is it for uh, uh the betterment of of the world as a whole and the planet so what i see is and and you touched on it i see food as a wonderful tool to start to ask those questions about deeper sustainability where are we going we can do many of these things on our own. We can make those choices in food, and we can vote for people to enable policies that will make our food system better. Because it's not all just what we do as individuals, or even as a community. It's this larger policy framework that we're in. So, starting with food, it's a very nurturing thing. Uh, I mean, what could be, what could be, better hard work to do than working in a garden? or cooking a meal or seeking out local food and taking the time, energy and money to do that. I don't always do that, but I think we. I get lazy at the end of the day. Um, I get lazy in my garden sometimes, but I think we have to work towards that. So that's, that's what I'm excited about.
0: And I think part of this too is, is we never want to guilt anybody into not going hundred percent, right? Like, and I'm the same with you, Jim. Like I, We watched this, you know, probably together for the first five, 10 years of my career, just at this upward rate of everybody's got backyard gardens. All the schools are doing it. There's lots of money that's infused. And you're right, it did plateau. And I would argue probably it dropped after that plateau. But how do we, even at our own level, like make that difference and and feel okay with it? And I've had to come to grips with it's okay for me to go to city market or to go to Albertsons or safe, whatever it is, you know, I'm going to do as much as I possibly can. But it, to me, it's also, I don't want you to ever feel, or I don't want anybody to ever feel guilty that they don't have a garden, that they're not producing their own food, that they're not shopping at the farmer's market every, every Saturday. You know, we all have to make our own steps and feel okay with that.
2: I'd agree. I mean, I, I can get hard nose about this because I think we do have a responsibility to ourselves and others to do many of these things. But that responsibility and that any guilt should come from within, not from other people telling me what I should be doing. <laughs> but I think thinking very clearly as I live my life and my relations to others, ask myself, what are the implications of what I'm doing and what do I feel is my responsibility to do?
0: Yeah, I always felt like it's good to be an advocate, but not a preacher. That's always been kind of my theories. Yeah. I don't want to be preaching from the pulpit. I want to be trying to advocate for folks to do as much as they possibly
2: can. Yeah, and and I do some preaching, but I'm a sinner too. And I guess that's supposed to go together, right? Oh, yeah.
1: I think it evens out in the end. So, And I've found that subjects uh, relating to food tend to be a really good meeting place for understanding connections to the biosphere, etc., And uh, it brings people from various backgrounds and perspectives into the central need that we all need food and that awareness of good, healthy food and how it needs to be sustainable. I think part of the the benefit of that is you have an opportunity. Instead of an obligation, let's say, or a guilt-ridden response to climate and some of these other impacts, if you take it as an opportunity for those people that are out there that have a latent concern, they know some things are going south in a real heavy way and they're not really understanding how they can contribute to help move things in the right direction. Food and food related subjects are a great place to start. And on your website, you talk about gardens for the future, which I think is a great way for people to get involved. And Darren and I, of course, are uh, big advocates of gardening in any shape or fashion even in containers on a deck. <laughs> and, and I think that is a really good meeting ground for all kinds of people when it comes to food.
2: I do think so. And I think food, if I'm reading you right, food is, is a good common ground. Uh, we have uh, old agriculture, with old folks like me, uh, and, and then uh, the, the younger folks. And they're, they don't necessarily see the same. And often there's a political divide there. But we found over years here in various uh, meetings around planning and so forth, that food, it's a fertile ground for developing those connections. And then a lot has to do with money. I don't know if money ever comes up in these discussions. It does uh, seem to, uh, it seems to drive everything and policies are involved with that. But if I look in terms of being excited about the future and the possibilities, every 10 years or so, i look at how much we're spending on food in the county and then try to extrapolate from that. What if we increased that amount? What would it mean to the economic development of this area? And the, the latest figures I'm just starting to toy with, La Plata County, based on average buying habits, um, uh, in a year spends about $195 million on food. Those are the residents, the 56,000 residents of La Plata County, not the tourists. That doesn't even include the tourists. It doesn't include alcohol, but non-alcoholic beverages. $195 million. It's a lot of money. We can't, yeah. we can't produce all of that. But if we look at two segments, and we've got this all broken down comes from government statistics, about $25 million for fruits and vegetables. $25 million. And I would posit that we could produce a lot of the fruits and vegetables that we need here. We don't always need the exotic foods. We could certainly bring that in. We could increase from, I'm guessing we probably source way less than 5% of our food locally uh, as a whole in the county. We could increase that considerably. What if we took 10% of that $25 million, million million, and we had 10 producers working on that direct marketing? That's $250,000 gross revenue, just, just back at the envelope. That's considerable. That's just for 10 producers. And that's only for 10% of those fruits and vegetables. You can do the same for meat. It's almost the same number, $25 million. So you can do the same thing. So there's a huge economic development potential here. How far we should go in, in terms of the percent, that's a nice academic question over two or three beers, <laughs>
1: but
2: after the first beer, you can start talking about what if we increased it by ten percent? What if we in, what if we got close to twenty percent? What could that do to the economic uh, uh, picture of our of our county? And certainly, I mean, we're tied with Montezuma. There's no question there. They have the farmland, they have the water, they have the farmers. Yes. So that that is is one part of it. But as far as Fruits and vegetables—the amount that we need—we did a—we played around another calculation with our preschool. We were trying to figure out how much land would it take to provide every preschool kid. This was a few years ago. The thousand of them in the county with a carrot, which is a serving of vegetables a day, five days a week for the year. And if you look at the average yield on on carrots, it comes out very roughly to about three acres. Now we have over five hundred thousand acres in this county listed in the egg census as farmland not including the grazing permits we could probably squeeze in three acres and boy after the second beer you can start extrapolating from that what about those families what about everybody in the county five vegetables a day it is not a large acreage so it's it, it is possible we keep now it's not that it's cheap but it doesn't take a lot, And this is where policies come in, to overcome this cost of land and the access to land to these young people that would love to be growing and making a decent living on this, where they feel valued and get value from their work. The potential is amazing. We just have to go after it.
1: Right. And you've spent a fair amount of effort getting those infrastructure networks set up between farmers and the markets to get that that market <laughs> stabilized. And that's a big we're, challenge.
2: We've struggled with it. Yeah, All of us have, I think. I think, yes. Jim,
1: years ago you termed it, and I'm sorry, I'm
0: eating my carrot He's right eating now. a carrot right in front of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Subaru network, right? That Subaru distribution network yes. is It yes. kind of all started in the back of a car, mm-hmm. and then how we mm-hmm. were to increase that and make it more efficient. Right. But then there's right. those just those challenges attached to you know cooperation which is so strange yeah. but they do yeah. exist
2: yes we're not alone in these distribution networks having real challenges once the grants are gone um there's no question about it i think it comes down to people's willingness to pay yeah uh, for yep. for food a fair price
0: well i think as americans uh, we should probably spend less on food than i would say almost any other country i would i can only guess. And,
2: and aren't we proud of that yeah. curiously <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i think one of the greatest ways to raise the awareness of the true value of food is to get people gardening so they can exactly. see how much exactly. effort yep. is involved and yep. in the vagaries of trying to grow your own food so that once you get to a farmer's market and you see uh the fruits if you will mind the pun um, of their efforts and they bring them into the market and you're like wow I'm gonna pay top dollar for that because that was so hard to to make happen Mm -hmm. here. And Mm -hmm. I'm so appreciative that we've got this access to these farmers that do great work. So then you pay the full price and that farmer has a living wage.
2: Getting, somehow getting them to try some local food, whether it's at the school or at the farmer's market or a special dinner that, you know, that features the local food, that experience speaks more gardening and growing yourself. And if you can't grow, then I think you should look at a farmer or some other grower that you can support intimately, get to know and support them. And then in terms of the environmental reasons, the sustainability reasons uh, for having a vibrant local food system and, and garden, getting people to look at nature in the garden. We have our wild school gardens for the schools where we're trying to nurture that. How is nature doing in and around this garden? What is it dividing us? How are we affecting it? And that extends to the farms and ranches in the whole food shed. So we have our San Juan Mountain Watch program to foster the opening your eyes. What is happening in our food shed? And going so far as to doing something about it and doing some citizen science and help the scientists in solving some of these problems. So it, that's where that those experiences eating a little bit gardening and for us the observations of nature in and around our food shed those are the things that i think will change people's awareness increase their knowledge and hopefully make them better food choices we really have some soul searching to do we've shown what what we can do we we need to scale it up and and make sure that it it continues so I think Tom, you've mentioned it before. We've talked before about what will it take to get people to shift to thinking that it's important to spend more not only money but time and effort on local food. And I think it's gonna to have to collapse. We look at the snowstorms in Wolf Creek Pass years ago that caused an egg shortage near Christmas time in Durango. It was the end of the world. It was a teachable <laughs> moment right and we had the egg prices for a couple reasons during covid another teachable moment uh and the question's got what sort of a what sort of a jolt to the system will bring about that change of heart so that we do value growing our own food yeah. growing food locally and paying what it takes
1: the scarcity uh, immediately peaks attention and mm. Uh, But in the same sense, pressure makes diamonds. You can take that pressure and redirect it to support local networks. And if you see Mm -hmm. the writing on the wall about what's coming in future decades with more difficult growing conditions and uh, supply chain interrupts or who knows what, I think the more we create a robust local market for food and production for food, we'll avoid the rush later.
2: (laughs) Exactly. It's... It's mitigation and adaptation to yeah. the changes that are coming. Yes.
1: Well, we thank you for all your efforts at yeah. the Healthy Community Food Systems. And if people want to get in contact with you, is that the best resource? The HCFS.org? Sure, and
2: email. Yes, and as email
1: well. through the website. Jim,
2: Jim Dyer thirty at gmail.com.
1: Jim Dyer thirty. The number thirty. That's his age. Yeah. Like 30. You're yes. thirty now. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. It it's been a pleasure. I love um, exploring this with you and I commend you for your show, which is right at the crux of the sort of thing that we have to help the people in the community uh, get more involved in. So thank you guys. Well, Jim,
0: thank you. Thank like, you. Yeah, For years and years and years of being an advocate and a friend. Uh, yeah, you do really good things and you should be very proud of that.
2: Well, you, back to you guys. All
1: right. Have a good day, Jim. Thanks for chiming in with us. Thanks for doing that. Hey, you bet. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, wow. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Garden Guys. Thanks, everybody.